in Bed, the Queer Sex Education Podcast. I'm Gabrielle Cassell. And I'm Bobby Box. And we are both queer sex educators and journalists. And we are recording our 10th episode of Season 2, our last episode of Season 2. Holy shit. I cannot believe. I'm so proud of us. I know. Me too. And grateful for all of our followers. But both Bobby and I have gotten a, a number of DMs over the last few weeks. So thank you everyone who's taken the time to message us and let us know that you listen. Truly. We both uh, screenshot them and send them to each other because we're, you know, this pandemic makes things a little sad. So you guys really cheer us up with those messages. So thank you. For our last episode of season two, we have a very exciting guest, Lena Dune. You probably know her better as Ask a Sub on Instagram. Amazing meme maker and kink educator. Oh, all right, Bob. So boundaries. All of 2021, I have worked really, really hard to have good boundaries. And some of what that has looked like for me is liberally using my block button Um, not talking to folks I have dated if it didn't end well, having sort of like really clear communication with folks who like I want to talk to or don't want to talk to. I've just been like so good all of 2021 with my boundaries. Yeah. And recently I feel like (laughs) I have been desiring drama. Hear me out. So I am not suggesting in any way that boundaries are bad. Boundaries are good in so many ways. And the long-term benefit of holding and maintaining your boundaries is very good. Mm -hmm. But recently, I've noticed that, like, sometimes when you have a boundary cross, there is a short-term serotonin hit, right? So, like, for example, you talk to somebody who, like, you know you probably shouldn't be talking to. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, your body's like, ah! serotonin woo woo or you get that sort of like excited ping when you see somebody's name pop up on your cell phone yes honestly i have to tell you truly right now too with boundaries and stuff the serotonin hit is important because it's so scarce these days like i can get a serotonin hit when the uber eats guy (laughs) (laughs) poppy like i needed this but anyway keep going yours is much more exciting than mine yeah, you're like, uh, my food's here. And I'm like, mm, sexy, sexy. <laughs> I know long term it is best for me to maintain my boundaries. But sometimes, I can't lie, it's a little fun and feels a little dangerous to just sort of toe the line of your own boundary and just kind of like play with yourself. I know it's fucking myself around long term, but in the short term, there's that serotonin hit. There is, and there's also just that the monotony of life right now, too, because it just gets so boring, and it's like, you know what? I need a little excitement right now. Like, it's... I personally haven't had it. (laughs) I'm just riding this real low-energy vibe right now that I'm trying personally to get out of, but, yeah, serotonin is in short supply for this guy right here. And also my friend, Emily, I am, 
was like, GK, it's okay if you're craving drama right now or, like, there's a part of you who, for whatever reason, is seeking that out. But, like, name that and don't feel shame about that. But, like, be aware of the fact that that's what you're doing. So here I am naming it for however many listeners I have been (laughs) drama seeking. I also think I became so obsessed with boundaries that I almost like boundaried myself out of having fun and like out of human connection. Like you can create so many rules in your own life that you're actually just inhibiting yourself from making connections with folks. And obviously not all connections are good, but you know that quote that's like, you can't protect yourself from pain without also protecting yourself from happiness. I have not heard that, but that is so deep. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) I, I wonder if I had maybe been doing that with boundaries. Like I had been protecting myself from hurt specifically in romantic and sexual relationships so stringently with all these boundaries that maybe I had kept myself from like having connections that could have served me, even if that service was only teaching me more lessons about myself. Right. No. And that kind of, uh, there's another saying, what is it? Like you don't grow when you're comfortable and things like that. Mm. Yeah. There's certain things that I'm uh I like to stay in like a very safe space because you know I can go all over the place emotionally as a cancer as you can I'm sure you can attest to as well but it's just like yeah I've been I've been taking very serious care of myself through the pandemic which like I know that work can stress me out a lot so like Mm. I will take like days during the week off because I'm like you can't right now what do you do with those days I'm just curious um uh wallow in self-pit um call the uber driver (laughs) yeah i will usually like honestly i like to disassociate through video games and stuff so like i just kind of like escape into whatever that is i'll do that tainomi is a drive so that like doesn't work during the day so like we'll go for lunch and things like that just kind of things that bring me back to some sense of normalcy and like, you know, we both live in apartments on our, our, our own. So it's just like, it can be very lonely. And like, you know, some days just like getting out of bed is like something worthy of celebrating because it's like, we've been, we're going on our third year now with this stuff. I know. Have you seen those memes? It's like going into our junior year of COVID, <laughs> feeling nervous. I'm like, oof. It's true. And honestly, something that I found personally comforting is making this sedentary, like, quarantine life a little luxe so like spending money on like really good blankets or like really good track pants and really good like i bought slippers that are like two hundred dollars fuck bobby love this for you and i'm like you know what if this is gonna be the world then i'm gonna fucking do it you know do it up in grand style Oh my gosh. Okay, let's transition from this soft, boundary, ambiguous content to bringing on our expert, Lena Dune. Um, An absolute blessing for us to get to interview her. Let's do it! on our kink episode to not give some love to the fun factory sex toy, the Buck Dick. The Buck Dick is a two-in-one dildo made by Fun Factory that combines a thick dildo with a paddle. That's right. Rather than a normal base at the end of the dildo, the Buck Dick has a paddle. The paddle functions as a flared base, 
making the dildo safe for anal play as well as vaginal play. And the paddle can be used to stimulate your nerve endings in a way that is different, erotic, and toes the line between pain and pleasure. This sex toy is super fun for anyone who's dipping their toes into impact play or who is looking for a dildo that just kinkifies the whole experience. Check it out at funfactory.com and use the code word BADINBED at checkout for 20% off. Today, we are joined by Lena Dune, a 24-7 collared submissive and BDSM educator. She is the mastermind behind the Instagram meme page, Ask a Sub, as well as the expert behind the podcast with that same name. And she and Bobby and I are here to talk about kink and queerness and sex and the intersection of all those things. Lena, we're so thrilled to have you on. I mean, these are all my favorite things, so it's a natural, uh, natural progression. I can't wait to talk with you guys. Gabby and I were talking right before having you on, and we were both saying that neither of us really identify as kinky, but we are into things that are kinky. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. like, we don't know like what the, what the barometer for being kinky is exactly. You know, I, I, I would never say anyone needs to take on a label that doesn't serve them because I think now like that we're in, you know, the queer era of like the LGBT movement. I don't think that people need labels or need to put themselves into groups, but I will say that, um, you know, to me, the definition of a kink is something that's outside what society considers to be the norm for sexuality. And, you know, in that case, you, almost anything could fit into the category of kink, right? So um, I think that whether or not you identify as kinky, the safe practices of BDSM can be really, really helpful for like holding whatever those things are that um, that you might be exploring, whether it's spanking, spit, or all the way up to like whatever we imagine when we imagine something really hardcore happening in a dungeon. It sort of is flexible to hold all of that. I love that. Have you, have either of you seen this meme that's been going around recently that's like, all millennials enjoy choking? There's been sort of this like normalization of different quote unquote kinky sex acts. I don't know if it's through music like Rihanna's S&M. Or if it's through movies like Fifty Shades or if it's through porn. But I do feel like there's been this sort of like melding or shifting of what we qualify as vanilla and what we qualify as kinky. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, um, if you go back to um, the Bible of sexuality, which is unimpeachable and great in every way, sex in the city, uh, I'm being sarcastic. It's terrible, (laughs) but also great. I love it. I was raised on it. But, um, you know, you go back to that episode where they're talking about eating ass and it's like the most shocking thing anyone's ever heard in their lives. Did he live up to his nickname? Yeah, it was good, except he kind of licked my butt. Be specific. You mean the cheeks or... It was more localized than that. And then now it's like, well, every, everybody, everybody, eats, yeah. everybody eats ass, right? And it's like, that's... So, you know, those goalposts of like what's kinky are definitely moving. But um, when it comes to choking, um, I... Yeah, that part of my taking up a presence online is in huge part to people who take things like choking and just surprise their partners with them without... Um, negotiating it or without um, creating a safe 
container. It's happened to me. It's happened to almost everybody who follows me. And like that kind of thing is what's, you know, scary because like sex positivity is one thing, but like do just doing shit dangerously is totally different. So that's part of what the whole like choking conversation right. totally and freaks me out. To that point, actually, um, I read on your Instagram that I really wanted to know about more about was consensual non-consent because there is, you know, almost like the lack of consent can be a kink for people, but you need to negotiate it in a certain way. Yeah. So um, I actually just released an entire podcast episode about this. So that's out there. Um, it's Ask a Sub as we plugged. But um, no, so it is it's consensual non-consent is less the lack of consent, but more um, play acting and and um, co-creating a space with your partner where you can pretend and the pretend may take the case, you know, the form of being like, well, no, 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 no. Oh, you know, this or that or be like more like physical. But it is a really common fantasy that people have um, to have something in that area. And um, that's what BDSM has always been there to contain, which is like taking power situations from the outside world and sort of putting them through this lens to like queer them and have control over them. So consensual non-consent is like a really common way to do that. Like we all have this cultural awareness of consent. And so some people may want to play with sort of its inverse, but in a consensual well, way. I've, I've always found personally, like in my sexual experiences, somebody who identifies as kinky or, you know, they have kinks, they're better communicators in the bedroom. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I, you know, you think almost the opposite. You would think like, I'm out of my wheelhouse, you know, like this is a kinky person, but they put you so at ease. It's like, is that, is there a correlation between the two? Yeah, well, you have to. Yeah, I think that um, and it's something that queer people can have too much more than like the straight assumed scripts of sexuality, because when you don't already know what's going to happen, there has to be some degree of talking about it. And when you escalate that even further to the point of kinks, like you're not just going to be like, oh, I want to get spanked. But let me just like tell telepathically hope that the person does that to me like you have to start talking about it. So that is why we emphasize communication so heavily, you know, inside the community. and why I think that those skills like could translate to everybody. Like I think that coming into a situation where you're going to be giving another naked person some kind of pleasure, like not talking about it can be like really confusing and lead to like different, you know, expectations not getting fulfilled. Is there a general recipe for the perfect kink scene that you recommend? Like ingredient one is negotiate your desires. And then ingredient two is blah, blah, blah. And then ingredient three is do the kink. And then ingredient four is aftercare. I mean, is there a kind of step-by-step process like that that you recommend for folks? I mean, yeah, that's basically the process. Yeah. You want to start out by negotiating and that can look like saying, okay, these are some things I might be interested in doing. And that list can be like one or two things long. It might just be like, hey, I want to try getting an over the knee spanking. What do you think about putting me over your knee? These are my safe words. Um, And, you know, safe words are their whole own world, but I really like the color system of red and yellow instead of just no or stop. Not that no or stop shouldn't still be safe words, but um, red means stop everything and let's go into aftercare and this is done. And yellow means let's slow down and have a check-in about what to do differently. And then, um, yeah, and then you go into the scene, which is like just the container you've negotiated that that over-the-knee spanking might happen in and and everybody knows what's going to happen. And you try it. And whether you like it or not, you keep going or you move to something else. And then um, afterwards, yeah, you do go into that aftercare time, which is just um, 
a time for everybody's bodies to sort of come back to um, a safe, you know, neutral regulated place. So it's sort of this intentional co-regulation moment. So for example, like I think people hear aftercare and they're like, oh, that sounds really formal and intense and I don't really know what to do. But like what I, um, you know, I love aftercare and like pioneering different ways to do aftercare, which is funny as the sub, like people would think the dom has to be in charge of that. But I like to be like, I feel like doing this for my aftercare. So we have those um, like hue lights in our apartment where like all the light bulbs can be turned a color. So the other night we finished up a scene and my, my dom went to the bathroom. And by the time that he got back, I had turned all the lights blue. And on the screen, I had this like six hour long loop of like an aquarium going on the TV. And we just sat and like watched an aquarium and like chit chatted about what the fish were doing until we both came back down and we're like, okay, yeah, now we're ready for bed. Um, so aftercare can be silly and fun or informal as you as you want you mentioned that you both came back down i'd love to hear you maybe speak a little bit more about the fact that the dom or the person who maybe is doing the acting upon also has boundaries and negotiations and needs and feelings that need to be respected i feel like so often this conversation about kink prioritize the subs needs exclusively Totally. Yeah. And people can sort of look at doms like, well, you're like a vending machine for me to just like have an experience and you just like, you know, give me the impact or you give me the dirty talk and like, see you later. You're just, you know, impervious and that's all you do. But um, yeah, aftercare is definitely important for doms too, because the experience of stepping into that role can be really intense and it takes a lot and it's like very like cerebral and they have to be putting pieces together and I think that aftercare for them can be a lot about like gratitude and being seen and like making sure that the sub is okay and like having that coming together for the top is essential because yeah they're not like some you know robot that just like does spanking to you. They're, they're a person in there and then they also need aftercare. I wanted to ask about um, subspace. This is something I've never actually experienced myself because I haven't given myself the chance, but I've told Gabby in the past, this year's the year that I just like go wild sexually and explore everything I've wanted to. So could you, yeah. So like, I really want to know like what subspace is because, you know, just get a better idea of what exactly happens. So subspace, um, first of all, manifests differently for everybody. So so in BDSM, we end up playing with the brain in this way where we're sort of like dialing up and down the chemicals in there. So subspace can result from the adrenaline and endorphins that come about not only from just like, oh, my God, I'm like doing this power exchange thing that's like really taboo, but even from like the impact portion, spanking, bondage um, and uh yeah, it can look like a lot of different things. It can look like um, getting just like uncontrollable giggles. It can look like going really quiet and just being like really blissed out and kind of peaceful. It can, um, for some people, look like cathartic crying. And and I think a lot of people are like, whoa, my subspace looked like X, Y, or Z. Is that okay? And what's wrong with me? And the answer is like, this is how your brain experiences these chemicals. Just like, you know, if you drink tequila versus whiskey and you feel a different type of drunk for each one of those things you're not like oh well I'm an invalid tequila drinker it's like no no that's just what happens to you when you put these ingredients together in this way dom space is that a thing as well yeah totally um and I think dom space can be less about like you know the kind of adrenaline endorphins piece because it's like maybe they're like 
doing the physical thing to the other person. But I, I should like slow down and say that doms and tops are not always the same. Sometimes a dom is the one receiving sensation and they're just like, you know, doing the power exchange, telling the top what to do to them. But in the case of the dom and the top are the same person. Um, yeah, it, they, they too can get into this kind of flow state like knowing what's going to come next and how they want to do it. And and that can definitely be this sort of, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever like drawn a picture or like we're like working out and things were just kind of like going. I think the doms can kind of get into that area as, as top space. Okay. So Lena, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. I'm sure you know this, but in queer spaces, there's this sort of like idea that there's a top shortage is there something like similar discourse within kink and BDSM communities around there being like a dom shortage? Oh, yeah, is it absolutely. Yeah, well, there's the discourse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I hesitate to say whether it's real because it just adds a factor to your dating to be looking for, you know, not only am I looking for like a person that makes me laugh and watches the same shows as me and like we can have like a banter at the bar, but also they need to be versed in this like wide array of safety practices and like have a dom vibe that I like. And, you know, maybe they're a daddy dom instead of like a, you know, super scary like protocol top. And these are the kinds of things that just add more factors to your search. But I would not say that those people don't exist. It just takes longer to find them. And then beyond that, it's like every, you know, one thing that I've learned from occupying the space that I'm on on the internet is that there are new people coming online to this all the time. So like when there are people like pouring in learning to be a dom, you can't say there's a shortage because they're just they're just not on your app yet or like sitting across from you at the bar but they are out there and it just takes a little extra time to like do that due diligence i find that i mean at least with the top shortage in, amongst like gay men i find that a big issue with that is not necessarily that they don't want to top but it's a confidence thing do you, and i feel like to be a dom you have to be very confident or you know so like do you think that could factor in as well as like a confidence issue Totally. And, and yeah, being a dom um, at, to quote, like um, our, our friend Venus Cuffs, who's an amazing um, educator online as well. Um, she always says that you have to dom yourself first before you can dom somebody else. So like being able to sort of take um, charge of whatever you've got going on and whatever you're bringing to the table is honestly why BDSM crosses over with like self-care and self-actualization and this even more like spiritual side of things because it requires so much of you to before you are responsibly able to do that to somebody else. So it just, it takes a really specific kind of person to be like, I'm going to interrogate all of my shit so that I can be a responsible partner. Like those people are also few and far between in the world. I think I'm a wannabe dumb. <laughs> do I it. do. I do. Wait, so my first, okay, I'm in therapy. I'm mm -hmm. like handling my shit. What would step Love two it. be? <laughs> uh, step two is um, we are living in a great renaissance of online workshops for BDSM. Um, so like get in some workshops and just feel out how things feel to you. Um, identify a skill that you might like to learn. Like, and there's all kinds of stuff that you can practice all by yourself, like if it's, you know, self-tying with rope or it's like, you know, practicing impact um, against your wall in your house or picking a skill and seeing how that feels. And then definitely, yeah, just doing your research, reading a lot. And then um, dominance looks different for everybody. So like as it coheres for you, you'll be like, these pieces work for me. These pieces might not be my style, but you have to sort of like find that as you go. 
And would you say similar advice to somebody who's listening, who's interested in cultivating their sub-self to a greater extent? Much of the education out there is coming from DOMS. So when you go out there and you start to look at like, how do I be a sub? And a DOM is telling you that, like many of those DOMS will have had experience subbing. But um, when when someone that you recognize as a DOM is telling you how to be a sub, you may feel like, oh, well, if I don't want to do this one facet of what they're describing, then I'm not legitimate. So a lot of subs can get into that like, oh my God, I'm not a real sub or I'm not doing this right. But um, in fact, you probably are doing it right as long as you're like really emphasizing, advocating for yourself and um, using your safe words and just being really um, protective of your own body and safety. Like that's what comes first for subs. And then all the fun stuff comes from there. See, and I love that because I identify, I would say I'm probably a switch Mm-hmm. I can I can inhabit both spaces like usually you know if I'm bottoming I like to sub but I can also be a dom bottom too because mm-hmm. you know sometimes you just want to take that you know dick and make it yours. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <I> find, <laughs> yeah, yes, and like I find that um, when I do I take on the dom role like as a top I, I almost experience what you just explained but as the dom where I'm almost too empathetic to the other person's feelings we're like oh yeah i'll be like i want to take charge but i also want to keep asking you how you're feeling <laughs> yeah i know I, I once made a meme about this that made a lot of people angry that i was like there's nothing worse than when the top won't stop asking if you're okay because there's a, there's a difference between we've negotiated and i'm gonna call my safe words and don't worry and like are you okay are you sure you're okay are you okay how's it going are you okay you know so there's like a balance of check-ins for sure um um, but the the great thing about BDSM and about the, you know, the burden to communicate is that you can say as the dom, I fe- feel the need to keep checking in on you. So we need to like have a clear eyed moment where you tell me that you're OK and and I'm going to find a smaller way to check in on you. Like maybe I'm going to like touch your shoulder and like you just sort of press back into me if you're doing OK or like that kind of thing to to like signal between you instead of having to stop everything and like yank the person out of like whatever the flow state they were in yeah it almost sounds like choreography totally if you've listened to the bad in bed podcast this season you know i love the b-ball uno from fun factory so naturally, I adore B-Ball's Duo Reactive Anal Plug, which offers not just one, but two blissful balls of graduated sizes to be inserted like anal beads. Like the B-Ball Uno, the B-Ball's Duo contains lightweights inside each orb that creates reactive sensations depending on the body's activity, which allows intensity ranging from gentle to powerful. There really is no toy like it. For more information on the B-Ball's Duo Reactive Anal Plug, visit funfactory.com. And if you like what you see, use code BADINBED for 20% off your purchase. Um, another thing that I was, I'm very, very, very curious about is um, being collared 24-7. How, how does that Look, like what's a day-to-day life as a collared individual? Um, for me, day-to-day life as a collared individual is a lot of um please and thank you and politeness and cute energy and it just is this um never-ending sort of point of connection between me and my partner where we have filtered all of our communication through the BDSM lens. So it's like 
I walk into the kitchen and like the dishes aren't done because we have an agreement that he does the dishes after I cook dinner. And instead of being like passive aggressive about it or like trying to have a fight about it, I'll just go, um, daddy, can you please do the dishes? Because I did dinner last night and he'll be like, of course, baby girl, I'd be happy to. And then that's sort of like how it flows. Which is interesting because I think a lot of people are like, ooh, you're a collared sub. Are you in a cage at home? Are you on a leash all the time? Like, and it's like, yeah, sometimes, but also like I'm recording a podcast right now and like I can't be on a leash for that. So like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, it ebbs and flows and it dials up and down. But like the basic principle is that all of our communication is filtered through the, um, the power roles that we've negotiated. And can I ask, is the point of engaging in something 24-7 ultimately pleasure the way any other kind of like sexual dynamic is or is it more than that like what is the value add of of tacking on this 24-7 amendment to that yeah um well definitely pleasure for sure because it turns so much of sort of like the drudgery of everyday life that's definitely just creeps in more and more the longer you're in a relationship. It has this really natural way of turning that into flirting instead of turning it into like, ugh, I got to do this thing. But when he's like, hey, clean that up or, you know, go get the groceries or like whatever household task that needs to get done, like turns into like something kind of cute and flirtatious in a way of like expressing care for each other. But then what's even more um, helpful to me is that there is this informed consent piece to the stuff that happens outside of the bedroom. So like for me, um, I have been in relationships where like you could not trust the other person in a fight to not go like nuclear on you and like say really awful things or like get pulled to like another point or like you know, get turn a fight into like debating or making the other person wrong. And with the informed consent of our DS dynamic, it can be like, no, no, we are doing this disagreement as Dom and Sub. And that requires like this very high level of putting our egos aside and treating each other with like that respect. And like, here is the line and we will always stay above this line of respect instead of going below the belt. So yeah, it does manifest in a lot of ways. It's just like, hey, this is fun, but also like I can fully trust you. Like no matter what is happening, the bottom won't fall out on us. Oh my gosh, the level of respect and ego putting asideness. I'm, I'm like, I'm like so touched. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's a practice though. It's really fucking hard. Like sometimes I want to be a little bratty <laughs> asshole about stuff, and it's like, no, <laughs> no, we're not doing that because we've negotiated not to. Yeah, that's. That's very much to the point where, like, I was going to ask a question about, you know, how does a sub not come across in a way that, um, you know, you're seen as equals? Do you know what I mean? Because, like, in a relationship, because Mm -hmm. I could easily see, you know, Mm -hmm. if there wasn't that mutual respect for one another, that, like, a sub could be treated wrongfully in a certain situation. And that that does happen. Like, there are people who take this stuff and they're like, okay, cool, Dom Sub, now I just get to do like patriarchal oppression, but like with a new branding on it. And like, there are people doing that. Um, I don't like to focus on them because that's not really like part of what this is supposed to be. Um, But so in an empowered situation, the sub, it's a mandate that the sub required, sorry, it's a requirement that the sub expresses their needs, right? So like you, as the Dom, have to trust that the sub has space to say, hey, this thing isn't working for me. Let's figure it out. Um, And if the sub is being silenced from saying any of that stuff, then that's abuse and that's a situation that needs to be like looked at. But 
the dom should welcome the feedback so so that kind of thing doesn't happen yeah i i've read recently that like while you know the dom is technically in charge and everything the um the sub really sets the boundaries of what's like you know they set like Mm -hmm. this play space is good for me but anywhere outside of that is not so it is kind of like you're both setting the rules you know like it, it we're looking from the outside you would technically think that like whatever the dom says goes yeah totally um and that's something that I, I like to call the uh, the window test. Like if you're looking in at BDSM from outside the window, you're seeing somebody getting, you know, like maybe if the sub is an impact bottom, you're seeing somebody getting flogged and somebody's like telling them like, you know, take it, you know, and, and from outside the window, you're like, oh my God, are they okay? But inside the window, you that person is probably like ecstatic and having a euphoric experience that they've like really wanted. And it's so cathartic for them and so sexy. And that's like everything. Um, and, uh, the other thing that's really important to remember from, you know, outside the window, what you may not see is that the Dom has their hands on the steering wheel. They're guiding the scene, but the sub has their foot on the brake at all times. So it's like, if we need to stop this, the sub holds those safe words and the sub can shut it down immediately. So like, you're only going as far or as deep as the sub wants to go. I love that. You also mentioned um, cathartic. So that kind of Gabby and I are huge fans of therapy. We've mentioned it a few times already. And I heard uh, that, yeah, I heard too. that <laughs> it can be an effective form of therapy for some individuals. I've read that a few times. Um, how would that exactly play mm-hmm. out? Yeah. So um, kink is not a magical replacement for therapy. As we know, you can't just like go get spanked and now I feel better. But <laughs> but um, you, there, you can sort of, um, with the imperative of kink to be communicative and to be in charge of your limits, um, all of that are really good practices that sort of go out into the wider world. So when I started subbing, um, I definitely my anxiety. Um, and I'm also a person living with bipolar too. So I'm like very mental health. Um, and that wasn't even diagnosed when I started subbing, but I was just had out of control anxiety and, um, occasionally depressive episodes. And it was all stuff that I was working on in therapy, working on in therapy, but then the hands-on experience of dealing with stuff like codependency in the format of BDSM and saying like, Hey, I'm trying to, like people please you into loving me, you know, so like, let's negotiate how I'm doing this and whether or not it's manipulative or like, hey, I feel anxious when we do this thing. So I have to tell you, we're not going to do this thing. And sort of that self-trust that you build up through that process of like having this real world application for the therapy stuff can be like really, really therapeutic. It can be helpful. Um, But yeah, it's not, it's not going to magically cure anything <laughs> but it is a really great place to um act out those skills that you have yeah it actually learn. it sounds like it's like a tool belt almost like it gives you tools to use you know yeah. in your other aspects of your life a hundred percent yeah and and my boundaries the problem with um becoming a sub for me and becoming a 24 7 sub is that i saw in other areas of my life where my boundaries had become extremely permeable and I wasn't enforcing them. And I had to have reckonings in at work, uh, in my friendships, in my um, family. And I had to be like, look, I have been a doormat in these various ways for a very long time. And like, we're not fucking doing that anymore because I'm only one person sub. And I haven't negotiated a dynamic with you, boss, who makes me get your lunch, even though that's not part of my responsibilities. So there was a lot of friction, but ultimately I feel like now several years down the road from that, like very 
happy and actualized in a way that I really needed. Lena, so you host AMAs or Ask Me Anythings every Friday on your Instagram. Can I ask you to share one or two of the questions and answers that you ask and then give most frequently? I'm sure that you see like common themes coming from beginners or newbies to kink. Yeah. Um, well, I'd say that one question I get all the time and, and I never get tired of answering because um, the longer I do this, the more answers I pick up is about people, not just subs, but people across the kink spectrum asking what are the red flags when they're um, trying to meet somebody that they've met on an app? Like what should they know branching out from messaging into real life and then in real life, like looking for? Um, And this is true for doms or subs, um, but people who are dismissive of safe practices. Um, And I'm not saying people who are like, oh, aftercare, what's that? That's so interesting. I'm saying people who are like, we don't need aftercare. What's that for? You do that at home alone after we've hooked up. You know, that kind of dismissive um, attitude. Um, And then also, I think a lot of um, this is more on the sub side. A lot of subs have had these weird experiences where they go out on the apps and they're like, I'm a sub. I'm looking for a dom. You know, I'm new to this, but like, teach me. And then they'll get these people coming into their DMs being like, you know, hey, little slut, bow down to daddy. And it's like, whoa, like in the first message or like second message. And I think a lot of subs will be like, oh, shit, this is how BDSM works. And I need to like get with the program, even if it makes me feel uncomfortable. But the reality is that that is not how BDSM works. That's some like rando who's picked up like three or four phrases from porn and is trying to like get into your zone and have a boundary crossing experience. So like the number one thing, like beyond anything else, is that there should be ease of communication. Like I like talking to this person and I feel safe and respected. And then the BDSM follows from there, not like this person is acting like a dom immediately and I'm supposed to just go get with the program. Big yeah. red flag. <laughs> no, that's that's actually been yeah. my experiences mm-hmm. too. Like, you know, on the apps, if they identify as a dom on the app, that their first message is like you know, they'll call you boy or like, you know, things like that. And it's like, mm-hmm. or like, yeah, the, or something more derogatory. And then they're like, call me this. And like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's have, let's, let me get to know like who you are first. Do you know what I mean? So like how you said the reaction. Yeah. yeah I was like, is this what being a sub is? Like, I don't like this, but mm-hmm. like, yeah, no, but, so, no, yeah. nobody likes so, it. <laughs> yeah. I, I just love that you brought that yeah. up because that's something I've also experienced. And I know that since meeting, I've got a lot of kink friendly friends who are like very much in the space mm-hmm. and we yeah they're like no it's all about communication and you do like I think we have a 20 minute mm-hmm. talk before we get into anything just about yeah so totally at I least really love that yeah. you, you mentioned that because even someone you know I as a sex educator I still felt that way when I was introduced because it's um it, it puts you off your balance right because if somebody goes there and they're like in this like sex talk thing like culturally socially it feels weird to then pivot to like so how's your day been you know because <laughs> it's like they've thrown you into the deep end so then when it feels unsafe to act with just like kindness and respect that is your that's all you need to know if this person's making it weird and uncomfortable for me to just like talk to them then like imagine how much worse it would get if it was in person um and i'll also say that like you know just as a like a green light instead of a red flag version of this like my dom and i play with um thirds who are like subs you know that are outside of our dynamic quite a bit and what i'll see him do is you know they'll have a nice conversation in the app about like 
you know, first of all, how was your day? Who are you? What do you like doing? You know, and then and then it's like, hey, like, here are the parameters of this specific dynamic so that you have time to think about it before we ever meet in person. You know, here are the expectations, like no pressure. And that no pressure piece is really important because then once you get into, into person, it's like, okay, so like, no pressure. What are your limits? Does this work out? Or like, I'm not trying to negotiate or force you into liking what I like. It's just like, hey, let's see if we're compatible. And then at the very end of all of that, he'll be like, so, you know, do you feel comfortable submitting to me having a dynamic? And if so, here are the terms of that dynamic. So like, think it over. So it's like, that's Yes, that is so sexy. It really is. Like, yeah. Right? It's truly... (laughs) And I'm just watching this with my like chin on the ground. No. Like, oh. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. <laughs> no pressure is like two of my favorite words, mm-hmm. truly, because it's, it's, right? true. it's just saying like, if you're not cool with this, I'm not going to get angry, which I think a lot of subs get, you know, really nervous about, you know, it's like, well, mm-hmm. if I don't want to do this, he's going to think I'm a bad sub or I'm not, you know, he's not going to like <sighs> me anymore. So it's, yeah, very, bad. yeah. Yeah. And fuck him. Exactly. You know, like, I love that. Yeah. I don't want to ask a simple yes or no question, but I'm going to just like throw some words at you and then maybe you can respond in a way that's helpful. Yeah. I feel like finding a casual sex partner or just like one-off hookup within a kinker BDSM dynamic would be extraordinarily hard given all these like green lights that you want to look for and red flags that you want to make sure don't exist. So I guess my question is like, does casual sex exist in kink spaces? Like, how do you do that casually? You know, I think that um, the way that casual sex manifests a lot more so for kinky people is like pick up play at parties or in like public settings, like where you like meet somebody and you do like a quickie negotiation and you get into it. Um, That is not something that I do. So like I like love and respect it but like from my angle where kink for me always happens in a bedroom like after that prolonged negotiation the ideal scenario is yeah we're ongoing friends and we've like gone deeper and deeper into this together um like with consent and with this like ongoing level of respect um and sometimes from those situations like it's not like you're on the the relationship escalator and like this is just getting more and more serious it's like yeah we like meet up every couple months and we do a fun scene and we go and like, see you later. And how's your life? And, you know, so that, that thing can be a lot more common in kink because I think in the vanilla world, it's like after a couple times, it's like, well, what are we, you know, but like in kink, it's like, no, no, we're like, we're scarce resources and we're having fun with each other. So there's that angle. Yeah. What are some of those kind of public spaces or where can someone find access to a play party if they're not currently in their, their local scene? Yeah. Um, again, it's not my area because um, it's like I just have like a hard limit around um, public sex and um, or even just like being in a party scene because like and just to take up this space for a second, because I think a lot of people feel that they're invalid if they're not OK with that. Like I when I go to a, a party, not only is it like I, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to have to make small talk with all of these strangers. And that's like the least sexy thing to me in the entire world. <laughs> but then on top of it, like if I see a scene happening between two people that I don't personally know and I wasn't privy to the negotiation, it can be super triggering for me because I am not a sadist. And like, I don't like seeing people get hit or be in pain unless I know them personally. And I know for sure that they're enjoying it, which I can assume of people that are at a BDSM party, but just mentally for me, like I cannot connect those dots in that situation. So 
yeah, that's why I'm not as on the scene. But for people who are, like, I think it's definitely finding, like, classes and finding, you know, like, your sex-positive, queer-positive, like, sex stores and, like, sort of moving into those kind of, like, workshop spaces. And then from there, I think you'll start to meet people and find people who you trust their judgment and they're leading you to parties that are more um, your vibe. So for finding parties, what I will say is that um, it's really important to look at the um, diversity of those parties and the people who are in charge and see, are queer people welcome here? Are people of color comfortable here? Because um, kink has a huge whiteness problem. And there are spaces within the kink world that can seriously reenact um, oppression from the outer world and make it really uncomfortable for minorities in those spaces. So whether or not you identify with a marginalized identity, I think that it's really important to make sure that the people who are in charge have that awareness, because without that awareness, what else is falling off the edge and what else are they not seeing and what else might be unsafe just in terms of like their ability to police consent. So like I see that as like a major judgment thing. So like as you're trying to find those spaces, like look around you for who's comfortable there. What a good tip. Damn. And where can people find those thirsty, horny, kinky, educational takes? Can you just remind folks? Yes. Um, find my uh, small, horny baby raccoon content on Twitter and Instagram at Ask a Sub. Um, I now have the Ask a Sub podcast, which um, you can listen to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and everywhere else that my poor producers have had to figure out how to upload it to. And um, and yeah, and then you can catch me on Patreon where I host a um, Discord community chat room with people from all over the world. There's like a thousand of them in there. So like if you're looking for that kind of community in your area, we have a New York City group. We have a California group. I think there's like Chicago, there's London, there's all kinds of people who are like filtered into this through, you know, whatever I'm saying and <laughs> finding each other and making these really deep connections. So that's on um, patreon.com slash ask a sub. Oh my gosh, Lena, thank you so much. And that wraps up season Yay! two. <laughs> if you learned anything from Lena or any of our other guests, please do us a favor and go to wherever you listen to your podcast and leave us a five-star review and another review and just give us all the and love we're, we're recording so but your dog your was so cute right now just like hanging He's out so at the cute all right everybody so that marks the end of Woo! season two gabby can I you believe so it proud. my goodness i am too honestly this has been you know we've talked about it before and gabby and i were known to get emotional but this has been such like a passion project of ours that we've wanted to do for a long time so the fact that we got to you know two seasons thus far is incredibly powerful you know it makes me feel really really good and everybody's comments that we've gotten you know like you guys really make this all worth it and um we just want to say you know Season three is pending, you know, we'll see what, what happens and, you know, we're going to try our hardest to make it happen. But um, in the meantime, please rate, review, leave comments, follow each of us on uh, Instagram and Twitter uh, at Gabrielle Cassell and at by Bobby Box. Uh, follow our sponsor of the season, uh, Fun Factory at Fun Factory USA. Our uh, senior producer, Vivian McCall at Pansy is Gay. And our newer producer, Jeb Baki at Sasparilla underscore Sam. I mean, and just so just so the listeners know, Bobby and I want to do a season three, but we want to get it sponsored in some way so because bad. 
this is really time consuming for us and so we'd love for there to be some sort of like pay out. So in order to help us get a season three, if you could please comment and share the podcast with your friends because the more listeners, the more ratings, the more comments we get, the more likely we are to get sponsored. Exactly. And the algorithm, you know how the algorithm works. The more attention you get, the higher up you become. So yeah, it would just be very, we'd be very thankful. So I guess that marks the end. It's so sad, but um, Gabby, I adore you and we'll keep talking obviously, but um, everyone, we absolutely love you and we hope that you really enjoyed this season. Gabby and I put a lot of work into this and um, we loved all of our guests. Shout out to our guests. Honestly, they were incredible we had such a good roster of guests this season and uh, we want to thank them all and hope they're enjoying their new fun factory thanks everyone for learning and unlearning with us we'll talk to you soon bye